Greetings, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Let me start with a story about some guys who were sitting around the lounge of a golf club. And there on the coffee table, a cell phone began ringing. So one of the men went over and answered it and turned on the speakerphone and said, Hello? A woman's voice on the other end said, Honey, is that you? Are you at the club? He said, Yes. She said, Well, I'm at the mall and I found this beautiful leather coat and it only cost $1,000. Is it okay if I buy it? He said, sure, if you really like it. She said, I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and they had their new models in, and I saw one that I really liked. How much is it, he asked. $90,000, she said. Well, okay, he said, but for that price, I want you to get all the options. Great, thanks, honey. Oh, and one more thing. That house we looked at last year is back on the market. You remember we both loved it and they're only asking 1.2 million for it at this time. Well, go ahead and give them an offer, but start off at a million. Great, thank you, honey, love you. I love you too, sweetheart, bye. Then he hung up the phone and the other guys were just looking at him in total astonishment. And he said, does anybody know who this phone belongs to? Now that raises a good question. Is it possible to be too generous? We love generosity, especially when it comes our way. In fact, this week we asked on Facebook, what is the most generous thing someone has done for you in your life? And the stories ranged from people showing up to give and to help out during a time of crisis to parents sacrificing and paying for their child's college education. And someone even said the most generous thing done for them was when they got adopted into a family. However, we know that our world cannot afford to work on the principle of generosity. The kingdom of this world operates on a policy that we have all heard of and know very well. It goes like this. There's no such thing as, say it with me, a free lunch. That's how the political kingdom, the business kingdom, the athletic kingdom, and the academic kingdom operate. And all these kingdoms would come collapsing down on any other policy than you get what you deserve. But the kingdom of God is upside down because it is ruled by a king who some would say is generous to a fault. Consequently, it's a kingdom full of surprises. Now, we're going to look at one of the most surprising upside-down stories that Jesus told, which demonstrates in living color how generosity flows in the kingdom of God. We find this in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went out. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of this vineyard said to this, his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. 
The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, when they came, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now it's apparent that this kingdom doesn't operate like the kingdom of men because this king bases his judgments on criteria radically different than most men. And consequently, his decisions are met with a mixture of rejoicing and grumbling. So let's dissect this story a little bit, okay? We've got these hired workers. They don't have a trade or a skill. They're just day laborers, which means they live hand to mouth every day, just hoping to get hired. They live on the edge of destitution. This is why in the law of Moses, it says that when you hire a day laborer, you are to pay him daily at sunset because more than likely he has mouths to feed every day. That's why the guys who were hired late in the day, when the owner comes along and says, I'll just pay you what I think is fair, they're in no position to negotiate or to bargain, not if they wanted to eat that night. So they said, okay, and all they could do was just trust and hope that when it came time to be paid, that the owner was going to be good. And we read that pay time came, and was he good? Oh, yes. But his goodness was not celebrated by everyone. In fact, if you caught it, there was a segment of workers who were ready to report him for unfair labor practices. So what's the problem? Has the owner been generous to a fault? Or is the problem their faulty understanding of the owner? Jesus tells this story because he wants us to learn some things about the nature of this kingdom and the character of the king who runs it. Three things we can learn about the king based on this story. First, his priorities can be detected. You can see in this story what the king cares about the most. All through the parable, the landowner takes the initiative. He seeks the workers. They aren't out there seeking him. So one thing we can know about our king is that he wants a crowded kingdom. We see this laid out in another parable that Jesus told in Luke 14, starting in verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, 
Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. This king wants a full house for a banquet. So he's willing to invite people to his banquet who never get invited to the fancy banquets of the kingdoms of this world. The people who get ignored, the disenfranchised, the people we walk by and never notice. This king is going to invite those people to his banquet. You know, that story reminds me of a true story that happened years ago in Boston, Massachusetts. A young couple is planning to get married and they go downtown to the fancy Hyatt Hotel and they pick out their fine china, the menu, all the frills. And this banquet is going to set them back $13,000. And the Hyatt demanded they pay half the money up front for a deposit. So they write a check and put half down. However, just before the big day, the groom gets cold feet and decides he's not ready for this kind of lifelong commitment. And the bride is crushed because she doesn't want to go through the humiliation of telling people that her fiancé doesn't want to marry her and canceling the wedding arrangements. So she goes to the manager of the Hyatt, tells her the story, and the manager could not be more sympathetic. But she had bad news. She said to the woman, I'm so sorry, but it's such a late date that the company policy says we can only give you back a tenth of your deposit. So the best I can do is give you back $650. So she said, you can cancel the banquet and absorb the loss, or you can go ahead and have a party. Now, let me tell you about this young lady. Ten years before, she had lived in a homeless shelter, but she made some good choices and got her life back on track, and she got a good job and saved up some money, and she decided, what the heck, I'm going to throw a party since I can't have a wedding. She went to the homeless shelters and the rescue missions of Boston. She said, you get the word out to the addicts and the homeless. And she gave them the date and the time when they could come to the Hyatt downtown and enjoy a party. All paid for, all on her. She only made one change. She changed the menu so that the main course would be in honor of the groom. Boneless chicken. And they had a party like nobody had ever seen. People who were used to getting their dinner out of a dumpster were now feasting on chicken and hors d'oeuvres. They drank champagne and they, they ate cake and they danced to big band music. And it was the prostitutes and the addicts and the homeless and street people. And it was a party like Boston had never seen before. Because for one night, the people who most would call the scum of the city were now the guests of honor at the banquet. And I got good news, folks. It's going to happen again. It's called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. And man, you should see the guest list of the ones invited to this party. They will be there not because they were deserving, but because they were invited. Not because they were worthy to attend, but because they were willing to attend. The one who has invited them has paid for the party. He's very, very generous. Here's the second thing you should know about the king. His generosity should be expected. 
Now, he only promised to be fair, but it turns out that he was not just fair, he's extravagant. And he's not just motivated by what his workers deserve, but by what they need. And yet, what was the one thing we find the workers grumbling about? His generosity. Although they had been fairly paid, they felt that they had been unfairly treated. They are upset that somebody got treated as well as they were treated. Now, here's the irony. If he had started with those who had been working all day, they would have got their money and gone home and been very happy. But what got under their skin was finding out that people who did less got the same. Now, let's be honest. That would bug you, too. Because we've lived all our lives by the there's no such thing as a free lunch policy. It bugs us if I work really hard on a paper and I turn it into my professor and then some guy who barely did any work at all gets a better grade simply because he's the teacher's pet. Or if your daughter works all summer lifting weights, practicing hard to get on the basketball team and she deserves to start, but she doesn't get to because the coach's daughter gets that place. Or you have busted your hump to get that promotion in your office but instead it goes to the boss's drinking buddy. Those situations get under our skin. People should get what they deserve and nothing more, except when it comes to me. Now go back to the story. Who is the only one suffering in the story? It's the landowner. He's the only person who has come out poorer for it. And he's not unhappy about it because it was his free choice to pay according to his generosity and not according to their merit. Notice verse 13. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. So he admits unequal treatment, but he denies unfair treatment. Now hear me out. This is so important. This kingdom does not operate by the fair principle. This kingdom operates by the more than fair principle. Because in this kingdom, generosity is not the exception. It is the rule. But we are so unused to this that it seems faulty to us. Personally, I think this is why God's covenant people of the Old Testament, the Jews, this is the reason so many of them completely missed Jesus and the kingdom of God. They didn't like the more than fair principle. Shortly after Jesus ascended back to heaven, the spirit of God starts moving across the land and calling Gentiles to be part of the kingdom. And it rankled them. That's not right. We've been children of the covenant for 2,000 years. We've kept the law of Moses. We've been circumcised. Now these filthy Gentiles are going to come in and you're telling me they get the full rights as the sons of Abraham just like we do? And what about all these tax collectors and harlots and homosexuals that are getting baptized and coming into the kingdom? Do you know how hard I've tried all my life to obey every letter of God's law and God's word? And you're telling me that these people have the same status before God that I have? Do you see what's going on here? They wanted kingdom citizenship to be a right, not a gift. This is why Jesus says to the religious leaders in Matthew 21, 31, Truly I tell you, 
the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Do you ever feel that God is maybe a little too generous? I mean, we want him to be generous to a point, especially when he's dealing with me, right? But some of you still have a hard time coming to grips with God's generous grace. Like the thief on the cross, that whole narrative bugs us, doesn't it? I mean, right at the last second, that guy just squeaks and sneaks right into paradise. That's not right. Or we feel like the older brother when the prodigal son came home. Why does the rebellious, sinful son get the party and the celebration when I've been faithful to you my whole life? Now, if you have that kind of attitude, and at some point, all of us do, then here's a verse for you. Matthew 20, 15. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Here's the third thing we need to know about the king. His authority must be respected. This landowner is not just generous, but he is sovereign over his estate. And that means that God is free to set his own rewards and they do not need to correspond with yours or my expectations. God's love will not be bound by our expectations of how he should or should not operate. Who are we to tell God how to dispense his grace? Isn't it enough to know that he will be more than fair with you and me? Think about this. The all-day workers, they had the distinct advantage of having the knowledge all day long while they're working, while they're laboring, that their reward was coming for sure, for certain. They knew exactly what they were going to get. And yet they lost the joy of that because they were so worried that somebody else might get it too. When people complain to me about the thief on the cross or those people who come to faith in the final hours of life and just sneak into heaven and how that doesn't seem right. Do you know what it seems to me that they're saying? It seems like they're saying, if I could get away with it, that's what I would do. I wish I could be out there sinning and partying and come to faith the last moments. Is that how you feel? Because if it is, I got a news for you, friend. That's not a head problem. That's a heart problem. Because this story says what a blessing it would be to know all your life that you were in the vineyard of the king and the reward is sure because the king is good and faithful. This is a kingdom full of surprises where more is less and less is more, where the last are first and the first are last. One that operates on mercy more than merit. One where the king gives people what they need instead of what they deserve. Some of us feel like it is our duty to keep God from making a mistake by who he lets into his kingdom. But then you realize, after looking at your own life, your own sin, I was the one, I was the mistake that I was trying to keep God from making. And you'll embrace surprises of grace once you understand that you are one of the biggest surprises of all. When I say the name of Roy Ratcliffe, that name doesn't mean anything to you. But what about when I say the name Jeffrey Dahmer? Some of you just had the hair on the back of your neck stand up, right? Because you know Jeffrey Dahmer as the serial killer who committed unspeakable murders and heinous crimes 30 years ago. 
Because of his crimes, he was sentenced to over 900 years in prison. But in 1994, he requested a visit from a minister as he was wanting to talk about baptism. And Roy Ratcliffe, a Church of Christ minister, went to meet with Jeffrey Dahmer at the prison in Portage, Wisconsin. During their conversations that followed, Dahmer would often speak of himself as the worst of sinners as he was seeking redemption and forgiveness. After some very lengthy discussion about baptism and even more lengthy discussions about Jesus, Roy Ratcliffe found himself in the silver prison whirlpool with a white-robed Jeffrey Dahmer. And on this day, he baptized this once serial killer and said, welcome to the family of God. A few weeks later, Dahmer was killed in prison by another inmate. Now, not everybody agreed with Roy Ratcliffe's assessment that Jeffrey Dahmer was now part of the kingdom. In fact, a number of the Christian community shunned him. People would walk away when introduced to him or argue that they wanted no part of a heaven that included someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, that it was too far of a stretch for grace. Some would praise him to his face only to tell others that he had been duped. He was rarely invited to other churches to talk about the salvation of the least of us. Now, when you heard that story, I know when I heard it, I had some problems with it. How much did he really understand? Was Jeffrey Dahmer really sincere about his conversion? But our real problem boils down to this. Is there really room in the kingdom of God for someone like that? 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Conclusion, the Apostle Paul would have no problem saying to a repentant and contrite Jeffrey Dahmer, welcome to the family of God, because Paul was once Jeffrey Dahmer himself. It's never too late to come to this banquet and anybody can come. All are invited and those who RSVP will be treated generously. And you've got to decide if that generosity makes you want to praise or grumble. If you have understood today for the first time that there's room in God's family for someone like you and would like to talk about following Jesus Christ, would you please text us at 260 260- 215-4334. That's 260-215-4334. Now would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we serve a God who is more than fair. You're extravagant. You are the God of the open hand, the God who wants a crowded kingdom, a God who we're told in scripture keeps even from coming back again into this world because you don't want anyone to perish. You want everyone to come to salvation. Father, help us as your children to live generous lives, to extend abundant grace. That as Jesus said, freely we've received, we should freely give and we should celebrate 
when lost sinners come home. So Father, help us to live generous lives with the grace we give, with our time, with our resources, because in doing so, we reflect our creator beautifully. Lord, I pray for that person today who's heard this message and for the very first time, they understand that someone like them can come into the kingdom. Someone like them can enjoy the eternal party forever. I pray, Lord, for that person this morning that they'll have the guts and the courage to contact us about what it means to follow Jesus. We pray this, Lord, in your good and gracious and generous name. Amen.